I'd like to introduce our uh, next speaker. I'm Kent Whitaker. I'm the junior delegate to the uh, AAPA House of Delegates. William Byes uh, is a physician assistant and started his medical journey as a high school student volunteering on an ambulance crew in an isolated area of the Columbia River Gorge. He went on to join the Navy as a corpsman, and then he went on to PA training while in the Navy uh, and served as a primary care provider for eight years there. He retired from the Navy in 2000, and his first job following that was in dermatology. He's now in uh, an independent dermatology practice in the uh, Silverdale Gig Harbor, Washington area. So please join me in uh, welcoming William Bice. Well, hello everybody, and uh, I've been looking forward to this day for several months. Uh, actually, I'd like to thank the SDPA for the invitation to speak, which began uh, a year ago when I was at the Orlando conference. And I, I have a little bit of sage advice, uh, and it comes back from the acronym that I uh, learned from the Navy, N-A-V-Y, never again volunteer yourself. No, but actually, um, I was given the opportunity to choose my subject, and at the midst of the invitation, we were in the process of implementing electronic medical records in our practice. And so um, I have found myself in the instance where I'm not particularly comfortable with something, I'll get in and I'll just kind of research it, and I'll try and find out as much about it um, so that I saw, well, this is a good opportunity. There is definitely a, a need for me to, to, to learn EMRs um, because I'm going to be instituting them in my practice. And so perhaps there's going to be a little bit of advice that I can, uh, can give you. So first of all, I want to just talk to you about um, where I'm at. The, uh, if you're not from this area, you're here in Seattle and you see the tall buildings and it looks much like any other uh, city in America, but an hour ferry ride across the Puget Sound, it's a completely different world. I am, I'm from Silverdale, Washington, and it's absolutely gorgeous and pristine. And as you, you know, on a clear day, you go across the, uh, the Puget Sound and you can see Mount Rainier and all the Olympics. Uh, and it's just absolutely gorgeous. So I feel very privileged to work in this area of the country. Not only do I have the opportunity to enjoy you know, uh, Seattle, but then just a short visit away, uh, you can go and just see the beautiful Northwest. And I realize that you know, we're here for a conference, you don't have a chance to get away, but if you do get a chance, go over and uh, a short ferry ride, and it's a completely different area, completely different experience, and you'll really love it. So um, a little bit about myself. I'm not a, um, I'm not a technophobe, but I am not one that really uh, is, I don't have a, an iPad. Um, I use a computer out of necessity. My kids are much more adept at texting than I am. Um, we, were look, we were at the Verizon store and we were looking at our family plan and seeing who uh, uses the less uh, you know, plan or 
paid or texts. And who's this? Not? Oh, that's me. My, my kids, like, wow, they're really burning it up, and you're not using anything. So when we're coming to information technology, I like to think about that there's um, observers, adapters, and innovators. Observers, adapters, and innovators. Now, in this office or in this room, I see people that have their, their iPads out. Some people have you know, their, um, their phones. Just about everybody has some form of, of IT available just at the, the touch of their fingers. And so, um, you know, how many of you right now do not have any EMRs? Just a show of hands. A minority, really. Probably about, um, I would say, 30% in this, in this room right now. So EMRs um, are where we're, heading, where we're heading, like it or not. And so what I'd like to do today is to, to just inform you a little bit about what is going on behind the electronic medical revolution and the legislation behind it. And uh, specifically, what I found to be challenging is this idea of what is meaningful use and what we need to fulfill to have meaningful use in our EMRs. And uh, lastly, I want to just throw a little shout out to two of my colleagues, Vicki and Aaron, at the 2006 uh, San Diego Derm PA meeting. Uh, they uh, invited me to, well, they didn't invite me to this new position, but they informed me about the new position that I'm in right now, and they've really made the transition to this job wonderful, so thank you, Vicki and Aaron. So, oh, am I, do I have a thing to, Oh, here it is. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So, um, as you were told, I have a small. I'm involved in a small independent dermatology practice. We have two physicians, one of which is a Mohs, a dedicated Mohs surgeon. Uh, we have two PAs. I'm a full time. The other one's a part time, and then a full time nurse practitioner. And then we had a. Um, uh, preparation to institute the EMRs with a target date of 2011. And it's interesting that um, the provider that I work with, he, he kind of kept on postponing this. You know, we're going to do it uh, this month, and then no, we're going to do it a month after, no, we're going to do it. So it just kept on getting postponed and postponed and postponed, but we, we eventually wanted to start in 2011. And what I want to talk to you about is some of the trials and tribulations of uh, our experience with uh, EMR. And notice the size of the office there. It's a very small office. And as it turns out, the, the surveys that have been done looking at the implementation of EMRs uh, it seems that it's a lot more uh, prevalent in larger practices. Um, and, um, but the problem is, is that about 72% of dermatology practices are solo practices. And um, so, uh, you know, small providers, and, but when they have uh, larger practices, there's, there's much more implementation of EMRs. Um, this marketing survey which uh, surveyed over 200,000 dermatology PA or dermatology offices 
actually I, I believe that it was probably all medical offices, um, between October 2010 and July 2011 noted that there was more and more implementation in October 2010 there was 38 uh, percent of uh, offices that had EMRs and in July 2011 there were 40 percent so definitely more uh, implementation going on the larger the practice the most uh, likely it was to have EMRs with um, Let's see, more than 26 providers uh, in that office, 75% of those offices had EMRs, um, where just solo providers, about 30%. So the, the larger the office, the more EMRs. And, you know, we've talked a lot about lack of compliance. And I think that, you know, with the le legislation that we're all facing, uh, we have a relative lack of compliance. We don't necessarily want to comply with those regulations that are being uh, forced down our throat. And so we're kind of guilty of that ourselves. So objectives, I want to familiarize you with the federal government's EHR incentive program and, and also a, a separate, separate electronic prescribing incentive program. And, specifically to learn what EMR, or rather uh, meaningful use, applies to EHRs. So the basics, what's an electronic health record? A systematic collection of patient uh, electric or electronic health information organized to assist the care of patients or group of patients. And uh, digital formatting enables information to be used and shared over secure networks. It allows us to track care, such as prescriptions and outcomes, to trigger warnings and reminders, and to send and receive orders, reports, and results. It's uh, you know kind of like we're being all this information is being gleaned from our records. And uh, the other day we were watching. Uh, I was in here early in the morning. And we were watching this video about statistical analysis, which. You know, usually statistics and our eyes glaze over, but this was a very fascinating uh, piece of information, just how they can use um, statistics to, to predict information and, and healthcare outcomes. And so the EHRs are going to be able to, to glean all this more information about how our outcomes are um, affecting our patients' health. So a little bit of just resources. Um, these are some websites that you may find useful. Um, the, the CMS website and talks about uh, meaningful use. I found particularly there was a great um, thing with the AAD uh, by Dr. Uh, Radna, I'm not sure how to say her name, Chachuri, um, but it was an excellent webcast that, uh, or podcast that talked about EHRs. And then finally, um, this. Uh, CCHIT, which is the Certific Certification Commission for Health Information Technology. Um, there are so many uh, EHR providers. If you Google in EHR, um, you're going to get something like, you know, five or six vendors that are going to be the first ones that are going to come up and they're trying to sell you their product. And it takes a long time before you you're actually to get to the information, the, the usable information about what uh, 
electronic medical records are all about. But there are so many providers, are so many vendors out there that are trying to sell their products, literally hundreds of them. So the goal of EMRs, and this is right off the CMS website, better care, better health, lowering health care costs. Better care, um, better care, better health, and lowering health care costs. Kind of sounds like a storybook, doesn't it? And um, also electronic medical records is one of the tools more or less mandated by the government payers. And if anything is mandated by the government payers, guess who's going to follow? The private payers. Uh, so these, uh, these, manda these um, mandatory things that, were, that the government payers are going to be shortly followed, I'm sure, by, by private payers. So how, can I have a show of hands? Who's still using uh, paper charts? Okay, probably the majority of us. I'm, I'm going to tell you a little bit uh, about our, the journey that we had in regards to instituting these EMRs and uh, where, we're at, where we're at today, and I'll uh, make sure and tell you that at the end of the, the lecture. But um, paper charts, uh, ease of use, data entry, um, certainly, there's some fatigue at the end of the day in, in writing, but it's easy to write. Low cost, um, drawbacks, the, the legibility, certainly. Um, I'm guilty of, at the end of the day, my writing isn't as good. That's why I dictate. <laughs> uh, bulky, um, we all have those war and peace uh, um, health records. Not easily portable outside the office. In fact, you don't want to let those records go outside your office because then you lose track of them. Uh, the cost of storage, copying, faxing, and lost records are not reproducible. So those are some of the drawbacks of paper charts. Um, obstacles to EMRs. I'm gonna, the first thing I said right there is cost, an, an obstacle as cost. But if we go back, the goal of EMR was better care, better health, lowering health care costs. And that's right off the CMS government website. And so what I want to talk to you about is a, an, an editorial that basically came out of the um, Boston uh, newspaper. Now, interestingly enough, I, I just had some relatives visit me from uh, Boston. And um, they're a family of five. And when they first moved to Boston, it was wonderful, wonderful because from California, they had literally no health care. And when they went to Boston, they had everything. Their kids had dental insurance. They, all their medications were covered. They could go see the, the doctor for preventive medicine. And so it was wonderful. And so interestingly enough that uh, the uh, health care cost in Massachusetts is a frightening picture of what might be happening uh, with, if you'll excuse the, the term Obamacare, that seems to be thrown around. So let me just kind of uh, quote some things here. This is out of the Boston Globe, and it was uh, just July of 2012. And if you'll forgive me, I'm going to read this because I think it's important. 
Uh, bringing almost everyone under the umbrella of health insurance is considered by advocates of the 2006 Massachusetts law and of President Obama's 2010 plan as the essential precondition for um, reining in medical expenses. All consumers, employers, hospitals, and insurers now abruptly with the law's implementation have a major stake in that goal. And then uh, down uh, through the body of the, the um, editorial, the state also faced acute pressure to tackle a cost of containment of the uh, containment problem when predicted the 2000 reform law championed by then Governor Ritt, Mitt Romney, Romney, although he since renounced it as a flawed template for national legislation. Uh, it, um, that is the Massachusetts insurance, um, it ranked as, let's see, it also ranks first among the states in total health care spending per capita at $9,278 per person with the national average of almost $7,000. So it costs more to insure um, a person in Massachusetts, and Massachusetts is where they're, they're trying to uh, model the um, the um, national health care cost of it costs more in Massachusetts to, to um, insure individuals. So um, better cost is, is a, a problem. We, we don't necessarily see that, that the cost issue is going to be any better. Confusion. Let's see here. I've got some other things that I wanted to read to you. Um, this was out of the AME News, 7 November 2011. It was a, um, a, a note by this Pamela Don, uh, Dolan, why small medical practices lag in EMR adoption. There's a lot of confusion. In fact, some 20% uh, of uh, medical offices aren't even familiar with the uh, incentives out there by the uh, by the government for EMR adoption. There's a lot of confusion. How can we get this money? Um, lost productivity. When we um, began the EMR implementation, there was a process where things slowed down dramatically. And I've talked to other providers in this meeting that when they instituted EMRs, they went from seeing some 30 patients a day down to about 18 patients a day. So um, definitely a lost productivity because of the institution of the um, EMR. And the other issue which was recently signed or solved by the uh, Supreme Court was constitutionality, which never mind. So going back to a previous administration, 2006, uh, President George uh, W. Bush uh, tax Relief and Health Care Act required the establishment of a physician quality reporting system including an incentive payment for eligible providers who satisfactorily report data on quality measurements for covered professional services, uh, otherwise known as the PQRS. And what does that pertain to dermatology, particularly uh, reporting of melanoma? This is where um, physician PQRS uh, pertains to derm dermatology. But there's an incentive program for um, providers who report this data. Um, 
the Electronic Prescribing Incentive Program. Now this is uh, the new, well actually it's, it was the, the one that came after that for the PQRS in 2006 and in 2008 um, there was a, a program authorizing a, an incentive program for uh, eligible providers who are successful electronic prescribers. Now electronic prescribers, I would say just about everybody, well I can guess just about everybody in this office or in this room is electronic prescribers. Certainly you can get that even free. Uh, Allscripts offers a program that you don't have to pay any money for uh, to be an electronic prescriber, but there was an incentive program uh, that was began in January 2009 and it was equal to 1% of the estimated Medicare physician fee schedule. Um, and the incentive varied year by year. You had to use some sort of an electronic prescribing system and again it didn't cost a lot of money. Um, minimal, there, there had to be a minimal number of total prescriptions to, to be an e-prescriber. When we first instituted this my billing office was saying, you know, you have to ha submit so many e-scripts. E and I was pretty good at it. I always was doing all the e-scripts, the e but there were several other providers that they always had to be reminded so that we can get past a certain threshold so that we would um, then qualify for this incentive. And then going on to the present administration, the American Recovery or Reinvestment of 2009, otherwise known as the Economic Stimulus Package, Health Information uh, Technology for Economic and uh, Clinical Health, otherwise the HITECH Act. And it's very interesting to read all of the stuff that you can find on this. Uh, the legislation says that it was providing $44.5 billion to accelerate the adaption spread over 2010 to 2019 of EMRs. But that, that number is actually all over the place. I found less than that and I found actually uh, more than that. So it like, it's like anything else with the government. You never quite know how much the bill is going to be. Um, and it, this incentive program was to increase adoption of certified EHRs. And there's a lot of electronic health records out there that, um, and not all of them are certified. You actually have to have a certified EHR uh, program. And there's, there's five different bodies that look at um, an electronic health record to tell and, and certify it, whether it's a, it can uh, fulfill meaningful use. And it has to be able to exchange health information uh, electronically with key partners. And then lastly, individual providers have to achieve objectives of meaningful use. And that's where I'd like to spend most of what I have to talk to you about. What does it mean to, to, be meaningful, to have meaningful use? And just as, let's see, May of this year, um, they came out and the government that is CMS and they said, well, this is what we're going to, to uh, do phase two. We've been in phase one, but then when they came out with the new phase two, they said, oh, we're going to revise phase one. That's always worrisome, where they re revise the things that you're trying to do right now. Um, there's three requirements to receive the incentives, and I'm going to go about what those incentives are, but you must have a certified EHR system, and as I mentioned, there's five certifying bodies that, um, that look at that. Um, you must be a meaningful user to get the incentive, and then you must submit clinical quality measures. Now, again, as dermatologists or dermatology providers, 
these cl clinical quality measures, there's a lot of them, but what pertains to us is melanoma surveillance. There's four unique types of incentive programs that the um, federal government has. There's uh, Medicaid EHR, Medicare EHR, hospital EHR, and then uh, Medicare Advantage EHR. Um, we're going to fall into primarily, if you're a, an outpatient provider, either the Medicaid or the uh, Medicare. Um, and then eScripts, I'm going to cover that as far as what the incentive program, that's a, a completely different incentive program, So, but I'll talk about it later. Stage one. There's three stages uh, for EHR uh, implementation. And when it first came out, uh, there's, it's phase one. And there was 15 core, and there's menu objectives as well. I'm going to go over what all the core objectives to obtain meaningful use are. Core means that everybody has to do all of them, 15 of 15. And then there was a menu of five of 10 menu objectives. And then stage two, which is yet to come uh, from 2014 to 2020, and these uh, core two or stage two uh, measures were recently announced in May of this year. And uh, they have 17 core and three out of five menu objectives. And then stage three, uh, to be determined. They don't even know what the the determinations of the meaningful use are in the upcoming EMRs, but there is going to be a stage three. And the idea is that each stage is going to get more and more challenging. Um, stage one, it really was pretty easy, fairly easy to meet those objectives. Stage two is another thing altogether, and one can only guess what stage three is going to be like. <clears throat> So this was a real sticker when I found out about uh, the Medicare eligible professionals. So um, if you see Medicare patients, and most of us do, uh, do you qualify for the incentive programs? Uh, the answer, unfortunately, is no. Um, they announced who eligible professionals were, and remember to get the incentives, you have to be an eligible professional. It has to be an MD, a DO, a DDS, podiatrist, DO, and, or a chiropractor um, for the Medicare outpatient uh, eligible professors or professionals. Nowhere in there does it talk anything about physician assistants, nurse practitioners. We were excluded. Um, and it, they also talked about providers who pro provide their care in hospitals versus outpatient uh, facilities. And, uh, but you have to provide, um, let's see, they originally excluded people from if they provided care in a hospital, and then they revised it to um, they could perform some of their care in or out of the hospital, but there was a revision there. But the big thing there is that they excluded PAs and NPs from Medicare uh, providers. Now, incentive payments, the bait. Um, over the period of, in the, of uh, five years, they're going to give you cer a certain amount of money to uh, institute a certified EMR program. And depending upon which year you began, 
um, you could get more money. And the longer you postponed it, the less money that you would get. And um, so beginning in 2011, uh, if you were getting a uh, um, EMR, instituted a certified EMR, and doing meaningful use, you could get a total of $44,000. Um, and then the longer you postponed it, um, if you postponed it after 2013, the amount that you could get was uh, limited to 39,000, but actually when they announced the phase two uh, requirements, they actually postponed that a y another year. Uh, so as of 2013, you still could get the, the uh, $44,000, but um, after 2015, if you're not using a certified electronic medical record, um, the bonuses go away and we start getting fined. Initially, 2015, now this is uh, based upon 75% of the allowable Medicare charges um, that you would be getting back from your Medicare uh, bills. If you don't have a certified EMR, you're going to be uh, docked 1% of your allowable medical uh, Medicare charges, uh, and then it gets worse, uh, and it says up to 3% there, but there's gonna be instances when it's actually even worse than that. Uh, again, based upon 75% of the Medicare allowed charges, um, you must have at least $24,000 in uh, allowed medical charges a year to meet the threshold um, to, to get the incentives. The penalty, remember after 2015, the penalty starts, the penalty may rise to as high as 5% off of your allowed medical care uh, charges in 2018 uh, if less than 75% of uh, professionals are adapted or adopted users. And you could get an extra 10% um, bonus if you practice in a healthcare professional shortage area. And then uh, there's a separate, as I mentioned earlier, there's a Medicare EHR and now a Medicaid EHR. Now this is where they did include uh, physician assistants, nurse practitioners, midwives, um, dentists were also included. Um, now physician assistant, you had to practice in a federally qualified healthcare center or a rural healthcare clinic that's led by a PA to get their, um, the uh, Medicaid incentive. And you can see that you had, had to have at least 30% of Medicaid patient volume. I, I know that um, to have Medicaid patients, oftentimes you're, you're being paid to see them. Uh, and so to have 30% of your Medicaid patient volumes, that's an awful lot of Medicaid patients. Have a minimum of 20% Medicaid volume if you're a pediatrician. So they, they took that down if you're a pediatrician. And again, uh, practice predominantly in a federally qualified healthcare or rural healthcare center and have a minimum of 30% Medicaid patient volume. Now you get more. You get more money if uh, you have the Medicaid uh, EHR incentive programs up to 60, can't read that. I've got my own chart here just a minute. 67,000, I think it is. $63,750. 
over um, a longer period of time. And um, again, the, the, the incentive really doesn't go down if you postpone with the, the Medicaid incentive program. And then finally, there's a, a Medicaid EHR um, hospital incentive programs. Uh, you had to have at least 10% of Medicaid patient volume, critical care hospitals and children hospitals. Now, phase one of the EHR reporting. Um, initially in phase one, all you had to do was attest to the fact that you were submitting the data. You can um, have a 90-day period that you basically followed the meaningful use criteria, and if you submitted 90 days, 90 successive days, you were a you could be a successful meaningful user and get your incentive in that first year of 2011 or later if you elected. Um, and the other is interesting thing is that you can only report in successive payment years. The second, third, fourth, and fifth reporting years, you had to report data for the full year. Um, and then also, you could not receive a bonus for e-prescribing incentive and the EHR incentive program at the same time. The last, under phase one, the last uh, month that you could report data to get the full $44,000 was October 2012, but as I mentioned earlier, they proposed they they postponed that to 2013. So um, these uh, slides, uh, I didn't get that one updated. And the the um, the stages of EHR reporting, in um, depending upon when you began, there's uh, stage one, which we're in right now. Stage two, which begins in 2014, um, and uh, well, it depends upon actually when you institute it, but if you instituted in 2011, then stage two started in 2013, and then there's sort of a delayed process by which you can uh, get the uh, meaningful use but providers need to report a set of uh, the, the meaningful use criteria, and they're based upon these stages. And the stage one was uh, attestation, where basically you just had to say that you, uh, that you fulfilled the meaningful use. Stage two is where you actually have to physically report on the CMS website. I'm gonna go over um, meaningful use criteria in phase one and initially there were 15 core measures and you had to uh, uh, submit 15 of 15 to be a, a meaningful use and then there was a menu uh, of different measures and you had to submit five out of ten and then uh, clinical quality measures there were a menu and you had to choose six of the 34 clinical quality measures to be eligible. So uh, that's a little bit difficult to read, um, but what I've got here is I've got all of the measures and the ex exceptions for phase one. Now perform the first one of the core measures is to perform um, computer physician order entry of 30 or more patients. Now that is actually where you're actually typing in 
the, uh, the prescription order into the, the system yourself. In phase one, you had to do that 30% of the time uh, of all your patients. In phase two, um, which is going to begin here sir, uh, soon, that's going to be up to 60%. Um, and there was an exception. Uh, providers who write fewer than 100 prescriptions in the reporting period, um, but under phase two, all of these exceptions, by the way, go away. There's no exceptions under phase two, um, but there was an exception under phase one if you wrote less than 100 prescriptions. Uh, implement drug-to-drug -drug or drug allergy checks. Um, that's 100% and there was no exceptions. You had to uh, electronically prescribe to 40% of all of your patients. And then, um, again, if you wrote less than 100 prescriptions in the reporting period, there was an exception. In phase two, that goes up to 65%. Uh, four is maintain an up-to-date problem list of current and active diagnosis on all, or rather 80% of all of your patients without exception um, to get EMR or the incentives to maintain an active medication list for 80% of all of your patients. To uh, number six was maintain active allergy um, of 80% of all of your patients and uh, no exceptions uh, as far as you couldn't apply for an exception. Um, Seven is record preferred language, gender, race, ethnicity, and date of birth for 50% of all your patients. And then eight, record vital signs of 50% of all your patients age two and over. And um, this, the phase, um, they actually applied for a change of that. They, they wanted to be age three of over. Now, I don't know about your dermatology practices, but how many of us collect vital signs? Not very many. And as it turns out, the physician that I work for, he uh, collects vital signs on all of his surgery patients. So, um, but we were told that if you collect vital signs on um, some of your patients, you had to collect it on all of your patients. It wasn't as if, you know, it's all or nothing. So um, he had to uh, decide whether he wanted to continue to collect vital signs on his surgery patients or we had to collect vital signs on all of them. Record smoking status of 50% of all patients 30 years and older. Uh, it, you know, that's generally in one of the intake things that we have. Um, Oftentimes we don't address it in our dermatology notes. Sometimes we do. Um, and the exception is providers who don't see any uh, patients younger than the age of 13. And then number 10, implement one clinical decision support rule relevant to the specialty along, the along with the ability to track compliance with that rule. And uh, again, with dermatology, that was uh, melanoma surveillance. And then um, under phase two, the, the uh, number 10, that is the uh, clinical quality support rule, it goes, it's not part of the uh, meaningful use anymore, but it's still required. And then 11, 
provide at least 50% of your patients an electronic copy of their health records if they ask it, if they request it. Um, and then the exception, providers who do not receive requests for patients for this information. Um, now the new rules require that more than 10% of patients be able to communicate with their physicians via secure messages or encrypted email. So that's under uh, the upcoming regulations is that our patients are going to be able to communicate with us electronically by secured messages. And we, we do not do that in our practice. Um, 12 is provide clinical summaries for at least 50% of all patients for each office visit. And this was a big um, problem. You know, I see a patient, I take notes, and I save that for the dictation at the end of the day. But I'm supposed to be able to provide them with a, a clinical summary uh, at the end of each visit. Actually, it was three, by three days. Um, and so when you think about that, how are you going to get that to them? If you don't hand it to them as they walk out the door, then you're going to have to either email it to them by some sort of a secured um, method, encrypted method, or you're going to have to send it to them in the mail. And so I think that that's kind of the kink in the will. And I talked to other providers that, you know, you have to spend all this time on uh, putting the information in the computer so that they can have this uh, uh, summary by the end of their visit. And it really uh, slowed things down. And um, the exception was providers who do not have office visits, like um, for instance, a Mohs surgeon, uh, they don't necessarily have office visits. Um, you know, they just do the surgery. So, um, but, uh, so that was the exception to that rule. Uh, electronic, number 13, electronically exchange key information. And 14, electronically provide electronic health information created or maintained by the EHR. And then 15, report clinical quality measures. And then I want to go over the clinical quality measures. There were three core clinical quality measures that were required, um, and that was, um, now again, we're dermatology providers here, uh, but these are the core measures that were required under EHR. Hypertension blood pressure measurement. Well, what if we don't take blood pressures? Uh, preventive care and screening um, measure uh, to include tobacco use assessment and tobacco cessation intervention, and adult weight screening and follow-up. Um, usually, you know, we're not doing any of those core uh, measurements. We're not taking blood pressure. Um, we're not really looking into tobacco assessment and cessation intervention, and um, we're really not even taking their weight. Uh, and offering them any follow So there was, uh, if you couldn't get those three core, then there were um, three others that you could go to. Um, weight assessment and counseling for children and adolescents, preventive care and screening for in influenza Im immunizations for those six or 50 years of old of age or, age or older, and then childhood immunization status. We're still missing um, those core measurements for most of our dermatology visits. 
And um, so if, if you couldn't meet those clinical quality measures as um, meaningful use criteria, there were a, 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 a sort of a menu, if you will, of 38 other men, uh, measures that include uh, diabetes care, hypertension, heart failure, coronary artery disease, asthma, preventive care, among others. So we're looking at all of these 15 of 15 core quality measures, and we're saying, how in the world, when we're taking care of skin cancer and acne and all of the things that we spend so much time doing and a very good job at doing, we're not going to be able to meet the meaningful use criteria because we're going to spend so much time with non-dermatology issues that we're not going to be able to meet the meaningful use. And then there's um, the, uh, the, the menu program. Uh, remember, there was the core 15 of 15, and then there's, um, then there's the menu. You had to choose five of, of 10 to meet meaningful use. Um, and some of them are pretty easy to, to do if you're um, using EMRs, such as implement drug formulary checks, incorporate clinical lab tests into certified EHR technology as structured data. You couldn't just type in the fact that um, they had a basal cell that has to be uh, actually incorporated as something that you bring in as structured data. Um, generate at least one report listing problems of a provider with a specific, uh, generate at least one report listing patients of a provider with a specific problem. That doesn't look like I got, like I got that right. Send. Um, Reminders to patients per patient preferences for preventive and follow-up care. Provide patients with timely electronic access to their information. Use certified EHR technology to identify patient-specific education resources and provide resources to patients if appropriate. Perform medication reconciliation for your patients. Provide summary of care record for each transition of care or referral and capability to submit electronic data to immunization registries, and the capability to submit electronic syndrome surveillance data to public health agencies. So you had to be able to pick five of the 10 of these measures in a menu, again, to meet meaningful use. And then um, for the phase one of meaningful use, there was this 90-day uh, attestation that you had to um, go on, your billing people had to go on the CMS website and to be able to uh, attest that they had uh, gotten the core and the menu measures and then you would get your first year of, or your, your dermatologist would get your, his first year of incentive. Um, and I'm becoming more and more thankful for my billing people because I realize the detail of their job, but there is an attestation would require the provider to know the exact numerators and denominators for each relevant measure, going back to those core measures and the menu measures um, of all the patients that you saw as a, um, as a numerator and denominator of how they, they fit, how they fit into those different measures. And then 
exclusions must also be noted when necessary. You, you couldn't just not report on a measure. You had to apply for an exclusion. So um, as you can see, the meaningful use criteria to get the uh, $44,000 um, was, was quite a lot. And so I just want to tell you a little bit as far as what we spent on our um, EMR program. The, the software itself for our office was $100,000. And then the, um, the IT professionals uh, support, that was $10,000. The training that we needed from our vendor was $5,000. And then an estimation of the productivity uh, lost for the, the time that we were implementing the e, EHR was 75,000. So for the, the, the cost of our office, this, you know, two uh, physicians and three uh, physician extenders to get, um, to attempt to get EHR in the first year was over $200,000. And we were looking for an incentive per physician and unfortunately, the, the three uh, extend, physician extenders, we didn't qualify for the, um, for the incentive, but it was a maximum of $88,000 over that four-year period. Well, we already had spent over $200,000 in the implementation. And now I want to talk to you about the eScribe incentive program. Um, and it, this was originally before the EHR, before the electronic health record, but then the, um, so we have the eScribe incentive program. Um, and interestingly enough, you could not apply for both the eScribe and the EHR incentive. It was one or the other. So separate eScribing uh, through CMS. All providers are eligible, so the um, uh, physician assistants, nurse practitioners, they were eligible to receive the eScribe um, bonus, but you couldn't receive the EHR and the eScribe bonus at the same time, one or the other. And even if you were a meaningful user of EHR, you still must separately uh, apply for the eScribe uh, incentive. And as you can see here, um, starting in the year 2011, you could get an incentive of 1% of your um, allowed, allowable Medicare um, charges and zero penalty if you didn't. In 2012, if you um, did your eScribe, you could still get your 1% bonus, but if you didn't do the uh, allotted amount of eScribe, you're going to be docked 1% of your uh, your uh, Medicare fees. 2013, you can get a bonus of a half percent, but if you didn't eScribe, um, you were docked 1.5% of Medicare uh, fees. And in 2014 and beyond, they've completely taken away the carrot, and now it's a 2% penalty if you do not eScribe. So most of us, I think, are probably eScribing, so 
we're probably um, getting this 1% bonus, but if you're not an e-scriber, the, the bonus um, goes away, and in fact, you're penalized. To get a, a, an e-scribe program, you don't have to spend any, anything. All scripts is a, is a free, um, is a free eScribe program, so you don't have to, to pay anything for a, an eScribe program. And um, lastly, what I want to go, and I think that this is really just a, a summary that I wanted to, to show, and it's difficult to read up there, but um, our billing people, when they submit all of these codes, they have to um, put numbers in on the CMS website to uh, be able to either uh, attest or, or report for the full year um, if we're going to get these bonuses. And I just put in here and on your handouts all of the uh, different codes. And the, these, uh, this data came from the CMS website. And you can see um, how involved this is and how confusing this is in regards to um, all of the different data that need to be, needs to be submitted. And again, I just want to thank my billing office for all the hard work that they do. So to summarize, up to $44,000 available through the CMS, Medicare, and EHR incentive program, and up to $63,750,000 available through the CMS, Medicaid, EHR incentive program. The e-prescribing incentive penalties based upon Medicare Part B allowable charges began in 2011 and they're phased um, in through 2015. EHR penalties begin in 2015 and there's more uh, information at these websites that there are links on the handouts for you to, to use. And so at the end of the whole lecture, I just want to tell you that the week that we spent uh, in preparing for EHR, actually the week that we, we spent implementing EHR, um, we worked hard, we saw much fewer patients, and then on Friday after um, we were through with work, I got a call and from the doctor who says, never mind, we're not gonna do it after all. So, um, he doesn't get a refund of his money that he used to uh, pay for this uh, program. And what we've ended up with now is a very expensive e-scribing program. Uh, as I you know, said, all of the money that, that he spent, and you could get an e-scribe program free. But I, I know that, and I'm sure that we're all familiar with the fact that um, electronic medical records are in all of our future. It's, it's not going to be an easy process. It's going to be a process that's going to um, affect our productivity. Um, if you're paid on productivity, that's not necessarily a good thing. So um, how am I doing on time? Actually, if we could have question and answer in the hallway, that would be great because okay, you're great. just at the end, but thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs>